Welcome to Today I Choose. I'm your host, Melissa Bingham. In today's episode, I'm talking with my friend, Lori Proctor, about the power of stories, healing, and the Enneagram. Lori is a trauma-informed life coach, leadership consultant, team facilitator, and Enneagram instructor. She's the co-founder and president of So That Inc., a transformational coaching organization that focuses on the connection and integration of mind, body, and spirit. Lori is passionate about journeying with others through the beauty and brokenness of their stories for the sake of healing, hope, and living the abundant life. She thrives on finding the unique glory in each of her clients and helping them unleash into the world with power and authenticity. Lori believes lasting change is created when people have the space, guidance, and care to examine themselves and heal within the context of their stories. She has seen the profound fruits of this in her own life and has dedicated her life to helping others find the freedom that comes from this healing work. Lori runs her organization so that from a suburb of Chicago where she lives with her kind and hilarious husband, Dave, and their two wild and inspiring teenagers, Emma and Jet. You can learn more about Lori and the work of her organization at sothat.com. This is a great conversation. Buckle up and enjoy. I'm so happy today to be talking to my friend, Lori Proctor. Welcome, Lori. Hi, Melissa. Welcome. Thanks. It's good to be here. here. Uh, There's so many things as we were just talking before I hit record that we, we get to dive into today. So let's just get started. So the big question, what does intentional living mean to you? Because I knew you were going to ask this question, Melissa, I actually Mm -hmm. thought about this one. And I had a laugh because when you and I first met all those years ago, I don't even know what year it was, maybe 2007, eight. Okay. Um, And you would talk about Mm -hmm. intentions, Mm -hmm. right? And I I don't know if you remember, but I kind of like have this like glossy look (laughs) on my face. Like, what do you mean intentions? (laughs) Do you remember that? So now here you're asking and I'm like, no, I got this one. I know what it is because I have been now because I've learned from my good friend how to be intentional. And so for me these days, it's really been about Mm -hmm. slowing down, like slow down. And then when I think I'm slow to go even slower. Um, And I'm not saying that's for everyone, but for me, I tend to just move quickly. I think quickly. I react quickly. I'm quick. And that's neither good nor bad. It just is kind of my pattern of how I show up in the world. And so to be intentional, I really need to slow my roll, so to speak, and breathe and really reconnect with my body and kind of come back to myself because I just tend to myself goes out into the world very quickly and very fast. And so I have to slow down to be intentional. Mm. So yeah, that's what, that's, what's been stirring yeah, me lately. It's so true. And so powerful because it's that, you know, it is that pause. It is that taking that breath. And I love that you said you breathe and reconnect to your body because that's, that's really what it's about. Right. You know, I'm always talking about dropping into our heart to hear our intentions and you know, getting out of our headspace where we're running, mm. running, running. And just breathing and listening and leaning in. That's, I do remember us talking about that so many years ago. And um, you have had such an amazing, just personal transformation from the time that we met to now. And I know that story and, and helping people tell their stories and recraft their stories has been 
so instrumental in your journey. And so tell me about what story means to you and what, how you work with story. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had just really started that my own story work when you and I, um, Mm-hmm. you know, had become friends. And so I remember having those conversations and it was, it has been transformative. So I kind of stumbled into it. I, um, I heard this man speak at my church and he was speaking and I literally, like I was disoriented. Like I, I felt like my, like the ground beneath me had shifted and I don't even know quite what he was saying. You know, when you hear someone talk though, and it kind of shifts how you believe mm-hmm. or how you see that was happening. And he was really talking about how we live in this ambivalence, like where we can have um, at one moment we could feel free and the next moment we could feel imprisoned. Mm-hmm. Right. And we hold that at the same time. And there was something that he was naming that my body was like, Oh my gosh, how does this man understand my internal war? Mm-hmm. But he understood it. And so I distinctly just kind of felt this very deep, like knowing, like, you need to learn from this man. Um, and so it started my journey. He happened to do some workshops and I started learning. And it, it really was about your story and how your story in childhood has impacted your current life. Like we think, oh, that's in the past. Why would mm-hmm. I look at that? You know, it, I had a fine childhood or I had a horrible childhood. I don't want to go back and look at it or anything in between. And yet it kind of comes with us, but it comes with us unconsciously. So when we become conscious of our stories and how, like how we've been harmed in particular, how we have been traumatized and how that trauma um, has not been able to be processed. So then our body actually holds it. So then we ha- when we have stimuli or when we have life experiences that kind of come in, come our way, our body thinks it's like, oh, wait, was that that old trauma I had? And it like, it's a trigger. And then we get, we become reactive we go into fight, flight, or freeze instead of staying in that regulated, grounded, present space of the present moment. We now are in the, in our history and we don't even know it. Yeah. You know, those, I, it's, it's funny because something, something happened this week. I don't remember at the moment exactly what it was, but, but I, it did, it took me right back to childhood and like that I could feel it Mm. in my body of how just this wave of sadness and emotion came over me. And so I, yeah, I completely understand. And I'm sure people listening can, can relate to that of how something can trigger something. And then you're like, whoa, I thought I handled that. Or I thought I, you know, it's like, how many times have I worked through this throughout my journey? Right. And here I am again. Well, that's because it's embodied. It's a memory. It's like a, um, a saying we say a lot in our work is if it's hysterical, it's Mm. historical. And so when you're really reactive, and it doesn't mean that there's not certain things that we do need to be reactive about. I mean, there's injustice in our world, like it's everywhere, right? And there does need to be like a a hell no kind of against injustice. But oftentimes like, okay, so someone cuts you off, you know, in the parking lot and we are enraged, right? So when the reaction is disproportionate to the, the stimuli that kind of caused the reaction, we kind of now are in the realm of our stories, mm-hmm. right? And our stories are actually kind of have the driver's seat at that point instead of our highest, most conscious self. And so when we go back and, and like start to write our stories of childhood and then sit with others that have kind of been trained in this, this narrative focused trauma care methodology that I 
that I kind of work with with my clients and with groups, it it takes you back to that time where the trauma happened but was never processed through. Because if a trauma is processed through to completion, it's not held in the body. It then just becomes a trauma that happened that was processed through. So like, I'll give you an example. We were, uh, my family and I were in a car accident about four years ago. And it wasn't horrible. It was a fender bender, but it was enough to cause a little, like it totaled the car. And, you know, my, my daughter got a cut on her neck from the, from the seatbelt and our dog got thrown into the front seat from the back. So there was, it was traumatic. Uh, we had to get a tow truck, the tar, you know, like I said, the car was totaled. And that night when we, we were on a road trip, when we got to the hotel and we're able to get a rental car and we're kind of like, we're able to breathe, we needed to talk about it. You know, I needed to hear from my kids how it impacted them, what was scary, like to give narrative, to give language to what had happened. And when we did it together, we were able to really process it. So now we don't carry it like, oh, remember that traumatic car accident? Now it's like our bodies were able to get care, to get attunement, to get containment around what had happened. And therefore it, it becomes processed in our body. So now our body doesn't hold that energy of the trauma because it was processed. Mm. Um, that's why people go to therapy, right? Yeah. But here's the deal. I had been in therapy for 15 years and, you know, it was good work. I'm not going to say good healing work wasn't done in those 15 years, but not the same. There was something when I wrote my stories and told my stories with, within this kind of story narrative methodology, it was like I became free from that story. It no longer had a hold in my body. And I'll give you an example of that. So when I first got married, my husband made the comment and just very, like I was a little amped up about something. That's kind of my pattern, <laughs> right? I move quickly through the world. I react quickly. I talk quickly. I get angry quickly. If anyone knows the Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram eight. <laughs> so that should tell you a little bit about my style of relating. Me too. That's why we get along so well. <laughs> oh, I didn't know yeah. that about you. We never talked Enneagram when, when you lived here. All right, go on with your story. We'll get back to Enneagram in a minute. <laughs> Back to my story. So my husband, very early on in our marriage, he says to me, I was a little amp up, amped up and he goes, Lori, relax, chill out. Okay, <laughs> Melissa, you would have thought he like, like hurt my firstborn. Like my reaction was so disproportionate mm. just by him saying, hey, babe, chill out, relax. And so I didn't know why. I just knew like it caused a deep rift. I mean, it took weeks for us to repair. And like, look at that conversation. He he wasn't mm -hmm. even being mean. Yeah. <laughs> it was like a pretty like, hey, babe, you're kind of ramped up. Chill out, you know. But something in my story got tripped up and it became this full body reaction where he now became a threat. He felt like a threat to my body. And I was full on in fight, like, because uh, that's what I go to. Some of us mm -hmm. go to freeze where we don't have words, we don't have language. And then some of us go to flight where we just flee. We run out of the room or we just try to make it okay so that we don't have. So, oh, yeah, you're right. I'll chill out. No problem. Like, And then that's kind of fawning. And so these are the patterns that our stories get wired in us when we're children. We have ways to survive the pain the trauma that we didn't get to process back then. And so when we go back with this, this story narrative methodology, it gives us a chance to actually process it. So then our body can release it and then we're healed from it. And it no longer like guides our life. 
you know, it doesn't, it doesn't make me like have this huge blow up with my husband for two weeks because he told me to chill out. Yeah, that's, yeah. That was my trauma yeah, showing that's up. that's really powerful. It's interesting as you were saying that about fight, flight, or freeze and, or, or flee. The, the thing that you mentioned was flee, which I thought was interesting because I know early in my life, I would flee a lot. And there still are times that something mm -hmm. will happen and I'll find myself wanting to walk away. But what I've been able to, I use it more as a pause now to give myself just a couple mm. minutes to gather myself and then get in my body and get grounded and then go back and be in conversation about what just happened. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah that yeah. is beautiful. So you're taking that, that pattern that's normally like, Oh, I got, this isn't mm -hmm. safe here. I need to get away from it. You're, you're now taking that and using it intentionally to bring you back yeah, to the present exactly. moment. Yeah. yeah. So wow. how, how does it work? I'm just, I'm just thinking about people listening, like child, I mean, do you, do you start with a story that was traumatic or do you just start with a story and see where it leads you? Yeah. So here's, uh, there's, yeah, you can do it so many different ways, but the way that we have found helpful is that um, two ways. One is some of us know what those stories are. We just, we carry them, they're embodied. We carry them with us. Right. So I have a story when I was four years old and my mom, um, well, I'll start with the story where I was, I woke up, I was four, I woke up, no one was in our apartment. And my mom was a stay at home mom. I had two older sisters. My dad worked, but my mom was always there or my sisters and no one was home and I'm four and it felt like forever. And there was this moment where I went in the family room, turned on the TV, like just trying to like, like okay, okay, like what's going on? I was so confused. I was so disoriented. I remember feeling frantic. And I'm trying to like soothe myself with the TV. But then at some moment, I remember at four years old thinking, I'm all alone. And I don't know if my parents are ever coming back. And I have no idea where they are. And the terror, like I still, as I'm telling you the story, I still mm -hmm. feel the terror in my body. And turns out it was raining that day. I was sleeping. My mom was like, oh, it's only going to take 10 minutes. I'm going to drive the kids to school and I'll be right back before my baby wakes up. And so she didn't mean to do harm, right? And yet it, it did some deep harm in my body. So when my husband would walk away from a fight or, um, or just not want to deal with a topic because it was painful for him, it felt like abandonment to my body because of this story. And so when I share the story and got care in the story and was able to find regulation in my body in the story, all of a sudden it doesn't have power over me anymore. It's now healed in my body. So therefore it's not going to be tapped into in my current style of relating and relationships. Wow. That's really powerful. The, the thing that stands out to me about that story more than anything is it wasn't that somebody was trying to do harm. Is because I think sometimes when we hear the words trauma-informed care, or we think about the ACEs and all those different things, we think about all these really horrific things that may have happened. But it's this idea of, it's something that it, it can be very subtle how some of those things have impacted our body. Everybody carries some of this, right? It's not that you had a horrible childhood and and something horrific happened. It just, some of these things that caused these emotional responses in your body, you know, that happened in the moment, 
it, it it could actually be from something that really was meant for harm. Like there, there mm-hmm. are those stories. People have those stories. I have those stories. But we also just have the stories where we were missed. We weren't attuned to, you know, our parents like, you know, yelled and in our tiny little heart, it, it was so sensitive, like it broke, it broke our heart because our parents are perfect in our little, a little child mind. So when they're not perfect, when they are human, like we all are, it can cause deep wounding, even if there's the, the intention was never to cause harm. But there also is trauma that there was intention to cause harm. So um, this story work works for all and any type of harm. But yeah, I agree with you. I don't, I don't think many people mean to cause harm, but we do it anyway. Yeah. And, and I know, you know, I remember when I was working at the spiritual center in Chicago, we would take classes. And I remember my husband coming home and being like, not feeling like his issues mattered because they weren't Mm. these really, really traumatic things that people did have harm inflicted upon them or things. And I would always say to him, you, it still matters. It still is. It's, it's valid that you feel the way you feel. And it's, you don't, you know, it's not about comparison of trauma. It's about processing what your, you know, inner four-year-old felt or heard or, or, you know, that, that impact. So I want to ask a question because you have two teenagers. I have three teenagers. How has this work with story impacted your parenting and, and how you work with your kids? Because as you said, we are all human. We do I still yell. I still get mad. I still do all those things. And, mm-hmm. and there are times that I think, huh, did that cause, is that going to cause something that's going to trigger something later? Because I'm aware, but, and, and, and then right. I try to talk it, right. I, I try to do the process and talk about it in the moment, but I also know that doesn't always, that doesn't always happen or it doesn't always work. Yeah. So I'm going to give you three categories that seem really important here. Um, with parenting. And yes, because parenting is very hard. And it's really hard because we bring our stories with us, unbeknownst to ourselves, right? So before I started this story work, like I said, I'm an Enneagram 8. I am quick and fast. And and when I'm not in a good, resourceful, grounded, present space, I call it like a weapon mm-hmm. of survival mm-hmm. is control. <laughs> so I like to have control. It makes me feel safer. That's part of my pattern. So we all have these patterns. And the more we start to observe ourselves and become intentional about, intentional about observing our patterns, the second we become aware of them, we can easily return back to love. We can choose love for ourselves. And then we literally come out of the pattern because we become intentional. Now, the categories I want to give you, though, is we're not taught how to parent well because we haven't been parented well, because our parents haven't been taught how to parent well. But what we really need um, as parents is three things. We need to be able to attune to our children. And by attunement, I mean like deep hearing. Like when you were talking about like Dave feeling like his issues don't matter. And what you did there, Melissa, was you attuned to him. You said, you said, wait, hold up. Why don't you, you matter. You were attuning to him. You were saying, wait, you have a story. Your feelings are valid. That's attunement. Right. And a lot of us, because we're not trained in this and because we haven't received it and our parents haven't received it, it's hard to give. So it would be. So here's a perfect example of misattunement, because this is what a lot of us do. 
And we do it with such good, pure hearts. And yet it's so painful when it happens. So misattunement is, so my daughter this morning, Emma was talking about, I don't even know what she was talking about her, her, oh, I know her choir teacher uh, just had a baby. And she was so sad because she loves this man and they only have two weeks left of school and they have their choir concert and all these beautiful things that now he's going to miss because he Mm. had his baby. And I'm hearing her pain. And my husband, my sweet, very kind husband, looks up from his coffee and he said, oh, but Emma, that's so exciting that he had his baby. And she's like, yeah, it is so exciting, dad. You're right. And I just kind of got really sad because that was misattunement. Even though it was beautiful, even though it was true, even though it was kind of what my husband said, he missed Emma. He missed our daughter. It's validating their feelings in the moment. It's validating their experience, whatever their experience is. Yeah. And saying, Mm -hmm. wow, tell me more. It's getting curious. It's not saying, oh, but he had a baby. We need to be happy for him. And we do a whole lot of that to each other. A whole lot of, yeah, but look on the bright side or yeah, but, you know, instead of just saying, oh honey, that's so hard that you're not going to have them for those last two weeks of your senior year of high school. And you really love this teacher. He has deeply impacted you. Tell me more about how sad it is for you that he's not going to be there. That's attunement. And so powerful. Yeah, it really is. It really is. And so, you know, in that scenario that I just spelled out and that just happened this morning, like there was no conflict, but I just, I did see her get misattuned to. You know, I didn't correct my husband. I didn't, you know, there was no, I just tried to attune to her instead. And, but what happens when we get misattuned as children, we begin to believe a lie that we don't matter or that our voice isn't heard or whatever, whatever we fill in the blank with, like a belief that now becomes embodied in our being. Yeah. Our feelings don't matter. It doesn't, yeah. But everybody else out there matters. I don't matter. Yeah. Right. Or, or in my case, a big message that I had received is I'm too much. You know, you're too much. You bring your voice, shh, be quiet, sit down. You're too much. And that's why my husband's saying, hey, chill out, calm down. Like historical, mm-hmm. right? I felt that too muchness in my body from someone who loves me and doesn't think I'm too much. So when I felt like he was saying I was too much, my story came forward. And in essence, my 14-year-old self came forward who felt like too much. Anything you want to bring me, I'm not going to be too fragile by it. I can handle it and I can hold firm. That's containing someone. So like if, you know, if your child comes to you and they're just wild and upset about something, like our normal response, like remember fight, flight, and freeze. We either want to flee from it, we want to fight back against it, or we want to shut it down. That's our normal like response when we have that kind of big energy, but containment says, I got you. I got you. You could be mad and angry and sad and grieving because those are just emotions and emotions are energy in motion. And so to contain means to just have space for someone else's experience without losing your own sense of presence and grounding. So that's containment. And that's hard when you're parenting. I just want to add, you know, that can be really hard. And and when you bring your own shit to the story, that is one of the biggest things that I try to do is be able to hold that space for my children. And, you know, it's it's a struggle in yeah. my marriage. I get to air my dirty laundry, Dave. 
but you know, we've, we've really worked that I hold the space for the kids and Dave doesn't react because, you know, we can get in that place and there are times that that role gets reversed, but trying to hold that space for them to have whatever that experience is and not take it personally. Yeah. Big, big work. It's hard. Big, big work, big work. And yet I have found through my own story work and, and working with these patterns, like, um, and when I say patterns, I mean like uh, ego patterns that the Enneagram kind of shows where we go in ego, where we go when we're out of alignment with our true nature, our true self. You can learn them. You can learn them about yourself and then you can know what trips you up. When you know your story, it doesn't mean you won't get tripped up in it sometimes. It just knows now you have awareness of it. And there also is this place when you tend to your stories, your childhood stories with this methodology, there is actual healing. So you could tell me to chill out right now, Melissa, and I'd be like, yeah, totally. I probably do need to, right? Like it doesn't have the charge anymore, right? Like there's been healing that's happened. So the charge doesn't happen. Um, And then the final, because I said Mm -hmm. I was going to do three. So the first was attunement, containment. And then, um, and you're right, containment is so hard, so hard with kids or with with our spouse Mm -hmm. or with friends, with clients sometimes. Like you have to be very intentionally present and grounded to contain someone else's big feelings or big emotions. But the third one is probably... Um, when you fail at the first two, which you will, because we're human, we all all will will miss. Even the most perfect parent, uh, there's some statistics on attachment theory and those types of things, only get it right about 40% of the time. So think about 60% mm-hmm. of the misses. So the final category, and absolutely the most important in any relationship, is the ability mm-hmm. to repair. Um, and that means that when Um, someone, so again, let's go back to our children. They come to you and they say, you know, when you said that to me, mom, that really hurt my feelings. And you say, oh, well, honey, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. What I meant was blah, blah, blah. That's actually causing more rupture, not repair. So what repair is, is to really hear with your heart, the other person's um, hurt, and then to allow your heart to grieve the pain you caused them. So not to just say, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to hurt you. That's not repair. That's an apology that doesn't even cause, it doesn't even have any like impact. It's like em- empty words. Yeah. An empty word. Yeah. It's like a clinging right. gong, right? But true repair says, tell me how I've impacted you. I will bear that suffering with you. I will grieve how I hurt you, even if it was unintentionally. We don't We don't mostly intentionally hurt one another. We usually hurt one another because we're unconsciously acting our stories out. So when we can say, oh my gosh, sweetie, how did that impact you? I, I do want to know. I, I want to hear it all. And then I want to let you know how deeply sorry I am that I hurt you and have them take a deep breath and, and receive it and to truly feel are I'm sorry, because we're embodying the apology. We're not just saying it. So those are the three categories that um, kind of come to mind when we, we talk about Yeah, this. I want to ask about repair, because as, as you were talking, I just kept hearing the word forgiveness resonating in my head. And I, I feel it that it's, it's both, it's self-forgiveness, right? It's, it's being able to hear how you've impacted somebody else and not then making it more about you. Yes. It is so hard. Yeah. Like even as you put words to that, put language to that, I'm like, yeah, that's really yeah. hard. Yeah. 
no, I know. And that's, I just I was like, that's is, is it forgiveness of the other part? No, it's all self forgiveness because again, it's back to I'm not making. Yeah. You know, again, repair repair for me is not making it about me, right? I need to be like as you said exactly. here with yes. my heart. Allow and and then and and it is hard. I remember a conversation with my son where he he sat me down and, and I have done a lot of this work. You've, you have impacted my relationship with my son so much because of conversations that you and I had years ago about allowing that space and, and allowing boys to cry. We had a very specific conversation about that. And, and I, to this day, I am always checking in. How are you feeling? What, what's going on in your body? But, but the allowing, allowing, the grieving, the pain from, from in that repair place, I think is, is it's super hard. And the, the hard, the super hard, hard part for me is then not making it about me. Right. I don't want, yep. it's, this isn't about me. It doesn't, it, it, I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but, but it, it's, it's, if I'm really listening with my heart and hearing how I hurt, the other person and then how then how can I sit in that place of allowing my own pain of oh my gosh I I didn't I didn't mean that and it and it, it's hurting me that I hurt you yeah and just yeah. breathing through that and then and and not giving yeah. language to make the other person feel guilty for making me feel bad yeah or because it's not they're not it, doing yeah. anything to me it's my own stuff that's right and it's such a fine yeah. line to walk um, and so with kids, like it is the parent's job to be able to hold that space and not turn it mm -hmm. and make it about you. And it's a hard line to do because if you haven't healed a lot of your own stories or done enough meditation to be able to get to presence, you mm -hmm. know, on command, which not many of us can do that, we're going to do more damage, right? We're not going to be able to hold that line of not making it about us, but grieving on behalf mm -hmm. of their pain because mm -hmm. it is a fine line because you do want to let your heart be impacted by their pain without making it about you. Oh. Yeah, you put that so beautifully. You know, I always say parenting is the hardest job I have ever had and never been trained for. And without meditation <laughs> and prayer and intention and energy work and friends like you to talk about yeah. all this with, it's, it, you know, without all of that, mm. I don't know that I would have survived, you know, parenting and I'm, and, and it's a lifelong job, right? And it's so, we can do a whole nother podcast on life transition because we both are in life transition with having seniors this year and starting to move into that empty nest. So we're going to just bookmark that, that we're going to come back to this conversation maybe in six months or a year and say, okay, let's talk about how we navigated that because I don't know about you, but I yeah. am feeling the impact of that already. Oh my gosh. Even when you started talking about it, Melissa, like my body, like my <laughs> arms started to kind of get yeah. like tingly and my heart started palpitating. I'm like, Oh, I don't want to think that, about that it. Lump, I can't do it because the lump yeah. wells up in my throat and the tears just start. So yeah. anyway, we're going to, yeah, we will. All right. So we're going to just bookmark <laughs> that because we need to get a little space. It's really raw right now. So you've mm. mentioned Enneagram a couple of times, and I I want you to first explain to people what the Enneagram is if they don't know what it is, and then we'll we'll talk a little more about it and how you use the Enneagram. And I'm I'm I'll be honest, I'm on the fence about the Enneagram, but we'll talk. Let's I, I know Ooh, well, tell you, tell, you talk about what Enneagram is, and then 
Yeah. Oh, I want to hear about your fence sitting, though. I love hearing that. So the Enneagram for me, I've studied it about 20 years now. I learned it. I, I'm, a, I'm just, I, I'm almost obsessive about learning. I just love to learn. And so I had learned this. It's a typology on a really high level. It's just a typology. It's a personality typing system. But the thing about the Enneagram is it's, it's ancient. It's ancient wisdom. So no one owns it. No one created it. Like, oh, let's create a system which would be more along the lines of like a uh, strength finders or what did they call those 360 mm -hmm. assessments? My, yeah, I was going to say Myers-Briggs. Yeah. Yeah. Those are all created by research and by, by people. The Enneagram is this deep psychological, spiritual, ancient wisdom that they don't even know exactly where it originated from. It was passed down orally um, for centuries until it was brought to the States sometime in the seventies. And it was given language and it was, you know, books were starting to then be written about it in the 80s and 90s. But really, it's the way I describe it is that it helps show us where we go when we're in our ego. Like when we're not in presence, when we're not living in our highest self, uh, which we call essence in the Enneagram world, essence is our truest, highest self. Highest self. Like when we are in alignment with, with love, when we're in alignment with spirit, we're in essence. And in that space of essence, that's where we're in flow. That's where our creativity and our gifts and our love deeply changes and impacts the world. We are now in this space of calling and purpose and impact. Um, but what happens is we're traumatized people, remember? We live in a world um, where our bodies are deeply impacted by harm, whether intentional or unintentional. And what happens if we don't deal with that, if we don't get on that spiritual journey of growth and awakening and movement so that we can rise back up into our essence, then what happens is we've developed these patterns of surviving. And that's what the Enneagram really describes. So it makes people uncomfortable sometimes because it's almost like, well, you're putting me in a box and don't put me in a box because I'm too complex for a box. And I say, yes, you are absolutely too complex for a box. The Enneagram is not putting you in a box. It's actually breaking you out of the box that you're already in, but don't know it. So it gives you like, it shows you, wait, what am I doing there? Why did I do that? And, and then it also gives you this pathway to transform. So to, to move back into that space of essence. And it really is broken down into um, these three uh, centers of intelligence, our, our head, our mind, our heart, and our, our gut, or our body intelligence. And what happens for most of us is we have like one that's dominant, like I'm a head type or I'm a heart type or a body type, and then a secondary one. And then the third one is voted <laughs> off the island. And so a lot of Enneagram work is integrating, you know, our head, our heart and our body. So we're not fragmented anymore so that our mind is not the only thing online and our heart and our body are like voted off the island, which happens to many people. We live in a highly cerebral world that thinking is celebrated where the heart and the body are kind of like pushed aside sometimes. That's why some Eastern, you know, religions or practices really bring in the body much more than in the Western culture and bringing in this heart, like a, the, the gift of the heart wisdom. Mm -hmm. And so the Enneagram, just a very complex system, but once you, you kind of learn it, it becomes like, it's like you feel the energies of these different patterns or numbers. So there's nine numbers, one through nine, and it's just nine ways of relating to the world, the way we see, the way we think, the way we behave in the world. And the reason it's important is because it's awareness. Once you're aware of something, 
you can now change it. You now have agency over it. So the Enneagram helps me work with people. I don't even talk about it a lot sometimes um, when I'm working with clients, but once I can see and feel their patterns, then I can intuitively help them to break out of the patterns because there's actually a transformational map that the Enneagram gives. Once you learn it, and like I said, it's very complex and I'm by no means like saying I'm an expert on it because I think to be an expert on it, you can study it your entire life and still not be an expert. So even though I've been working and studying with it for 20 years, I still feel like I have a lot to learn. Like it's that deep and complex. That was a lot of words. And I want to take a breath. I want to see like how your fence is, how you're sitting on the fence now with the Enneagram. I've, I've taken the, you know, I was, I have taken the Enneagram test and I honestly, I don't, completely remember what my numbers are, but I, I'm pretty sure I'm an eight with a seven wing, which there's a whole system of that, mm-hmm. right? We can, we won't get into that. Right. But I, part of it is I had a boss that was really into it and would like shame me or call me out and, and use yeah. it against and, and would use it. He, everybody had to know what their Enneagram numbers were. And, and it would be like, oh, well, you can't do that because you're that or you're. And so it was it was used against me in a way or, or I, don't, I don't believe you're that because yeah. I don't see that in you. And so I just am like, I don't know. And so I've had, you know, that's my story around it. And I do, you know, I've done Myers-Briggs. I've done all those personality things over the years and the, whatever the inventory one is, I can't remember what it's called, but, and I do find that that information is, is helpful. Um, But it also like the work around the Enneagram, it, it never went beyond find out what you are. And then I'm going to put, I, I am going to put you in the box of that, that that's how you, you operate this way. And there's, I never got yeah. to the piece of the, the, um, I would go back to your word attunement with it and the resonance with it. Yep. And, and then how do we, how do we use that? I'm, I'm looking at words I wrote down that you said, and how do I use that within my essence and move through it? to help me express even more in the world or be more in my purpose, as opposed to somebody telling me it's either something wrong with me or I can't do something because I'm that way or all those things. So I just, I have, I tend to shy away from those things because I do see people using them. Yeah. Using them in weird ways. Using them to actually like not lift up and inspire, but to, to manipulative actually. And hearing that just, it, it literally, it simultaneously breaks my heart and makes me want to rage because that is absolutely not how the Enneagram is supposed to be used. It's it's supposed to be contemplative. And for you to use with yourself or with a guide that's that knows how to use it with you, not against you. And it's always for growth, transformation, and coming back into our truest, most beautiful self, which is essence. So those all those patterns that are kind of it sounds like this boss that you worked for was like using your patterns against you instead of like, no, no, those patterns have helped mm-hmm. you survive. Those patterns are what gave you some control and some agency in the world and some way to to get your needs met. And so we want to bless and honor that, not have it be used against you. I'm so sorry <laughs> on behalf of the Enneagram community that that happened to you, Melissa, truly. That's really tragic. Yeah, thanks. And I fear it probably happens a lot more than it, it needs to. Yeah. And, and again, it's back, you know, when you said that about it, putting you in a box, that's, that's absolutely how I, I was made to feel. I don't know that I actually 
when I read the information, I didn't feel like it put me in a box. I felt more, it did help me to understand, but then the way it was used with me, I was just like, huh, I think I'm just not going to pay any attention to that. So, (laughs) you know, uh, but, but I do know, do know lots of people that use it very validly and, and has been, I know in your work, it is transformative. And so I, I do recognize the validity of the Enneagram. I just, it, the way, you know, I mean, my story around it is that it just wasn't, it wasn't right for me that information maybe wasn't the right time for me within that situation. So that is, so I use the Enneagram. Um, I do do some workshops with it. I go into organizations um, and, and help them learn it mostly for themselves first, not to use it against each other. And we get really clear about that. Like this is a personal growth transformative tool. It's for you. It's not for you to go and then change everyone else's behavior. Like it's really like, okay, you got to, you got to sit with your own stuff. That's what the Enneagram's for. And I have just found it so incredibly helpful in my own life. And then when I pair it with my stories um, and the narrative work, one of my clients used the word magical, like something magical happens when, when you pair the two, when you and pair that attunement and containment and repair with, wait, there's actually a map of how to get back to your highest, most beautiful essence. Who wouldn't want that? Like, maybe that's just because I'm a, I totally geek out on all this stuff, but I'm like anything about becoming your best self. Like I'm all about that. So, so I just, it just piques my curiosity. So how then do you work with somebody with the Enneagram to navigate? Because actually that's something, and, and maybe this needs to be a whole nother podcast too, because you know, that's not, I never was really taught how to work with it more. This is who and what you are. Mm. Yeah, and that's that's unfortunate um, because it's not it's not who and what you are. It actually that's wrong. The the enneagram it's like who mm-hmm. and what your patterns are. Who you are is is this incredibly infinite possibility seeking creature that is meant to create in the world beautiful and healing yeah. and transformative. And that's what I believed. Um, yeah. Yes. And that's, and that's what I know and believe. Yeah. And I, yeah, it's, it's just interesting. So the Enneagram, these patterns are really our shadow side, right? And so the shadow side, meaning it's, it's ego, it's not our, our truest self. It's just how we, we've kind of coped with life. It's how we've gotten through. And so studying it, it, it really is this, crazy ancient wisdom that when you do apply it with a lot of kindness and gentleness, it's really transformative. And I think it is something about this head, heart, gut Mm -hmm. um, integration because we overuse, you know, I totally overuse my body. Like I even think I was telling in the beginning of our talk, like I move quickly. I, I move against the world with my body. That is a very, a very typical eight pattern to move against. So part of my healing is to slow down and just be still, to not move against. So there's there's practices and there's all these just really beautiful, deep spiritual tools within the Enneagram that we have kind of created in our, in our organization that helps people to heal, really, to heal these patterns that are causing them to have conflict and just struggle within their relationships and their world. And so helping them mm-hmm. to return to essence to return to their truest nature by this uh, beautiful, expansive map mm, of healing. So beautiful. 
I know I work with, um, there's an NLP practice of this infinity breath of basically starting in your heart and then breathing up into a figure eight, basically to your third eye and then exhaling down into your heart Mm. and then breathing into your belly, down into your belly and just back up to your heart. And there's this Mm. beautiful five minute meditation that it's a bell, pacer bell that rings every six seconds, basically. And you inhale and exhale and draw that infinity symbol and connecting that head, heart and gut. And anytime I'm feeling wonky or, you know, need a situation to calm Mm. down, whatever I'm, you know, especially with my body's feeling out of alignment, I will try to do that breath for a few minutes just on my own to get myself in alignment. Oh, that sounds, I mean, yes, that is everything you just said right there. You're using the wisdom of the Enneagram. You just didn't know it. But but isn't that the interesting (laughs) thing about so much of the ancient wisdom, spiritual practices that, that there is Mm. so much overlap there, there are different names and language for some of it's very similar practices. And, and, you know, the deeper I go into things and the more I study and I just completed my Reiki master training and, you know, again, just knowing. (gasps) Congratulations. That's amazing. I just started, I just started my training. I know. We have to talk. I want to hear more about that. That's so exciting. I love it. Yeah. It's it's been very powerful. And I, I have also said, I have been using it my whole life. And I just didn't call it Reiki. Mm. So it's, but again, so, so again, thinking about the Enneagram, thinking about just different, you know, as I, as I, 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 like you, I think that's why we're friends too, is we're both so curious about all of this and wanting to learn more and do more and, and just experience it. It, all these things. And, and it was interesting because as you were talking about the body, I, I've been feeling into if I'm going to do yoga teacher training, not to become a yoga teacher, but just to from that for that body connection to the spiritual practice. But oh, so many, so many good things. So you've talked I, about in your work and with your clients. So tell me about your company so that. Sure. So I have a business partner and, and we really, we started just as friends, but we did this story work together. We kind of embarked on this story work together and it was so transformative that we just started dreaming, like what would it mean to bring this into the world, right? And she had a very different background than I did. She's a yoga instructor, a trauma-trained yoga instructor and big with art uh, counseling. She worked a lot with children in crisis, like from cancer, from losing parents, from cancer and disease, and she would go and work with them with their bodies. So that was Jean, my business partner. And then I really came from this corporate world of leadership development and, um, you know, human potential. That was really my thing in the corporate world that I loved. Um, But I was mostly a stay-at-home mom at the time that we did this training. And then she was a stay-at-home mom as well, but doing, you know, yoga, teaching some yoga classes and working with the kids on the side. And we just started dreaming about what would it mean to bring this work into the world? Um, And so we we kept talking like, well, it would mean that, you know, People would get freedom so that then they would be better parents or people would get freedom so that then they can get the the career that they really long for. Or, you know, and we just kept saying, why do we do this work? We do it so that people actually know how unbelievably incredible they are. Even when I say those words, I'm like, yes, we want people to know how deeply loved and infinite they are. And when our stories are carried in our bodies, we don't know that. So we just had this vision to, 
heal the world. <laughs> we do it one story at a time. Well, and I want to say that when you say so that, and yours in in the the company name is S O W, and and you mm-hmm. tell me if this is wrong, but this is how I always have interpreted it, is that you are you know you're sowing the seeds of everyone's potential, and it's just yes. it's so you know we keep saying the word so, but but it's just it's powerful <laughs> that again it's it's the intentionality of your company and of your work of you know sowing sowing these mm. seeds of the human potential sowing these seeds of these spiritual practices and these teachings and and all the other things that you all do exactly we, that's that was the play on words we we were thinking like sowing the seeds of of healing and consciousness and awareness and then letting them grow letting them you know cuz we we are created to create. And when we start to heal and tap into our truest potential, like miracles literally happen. I've seen it with my clients. I've, I've just seen it over and over again. I've seen miracles happen. When we shift from, from fear to love, the world changes and we can become people that heal instead of people that harm. And yeah, so that's, that's our organization. So that, and oh, the other thing that we also see it as an acronym of self, mm-hmm. others, and world, because if you don't tend to yourself yeah. first, right, it's that oxygen mask. You need to put your oxygen mask on and get as healthy and whole and as centered as possible. And then that ripples out to others, the people in your sphere, and then that ripples out into the world. And I, I do believe that we can change the world for, yeah. for good make this cosmic shift back into love instead of the hate and the pain that we have going on. I'm always saying if we cleaned up our own shit, the world would transform. You know, it's like clean. Let's focus on, I I see what all's going on out there, but clearly if you're seeing it, there's something in you. So let's, let's go to that. (laughs) Oh my gosh. There's so many more things I want to talk to you about. So we're going to just bookmark this to say, we're going to do another podcast with Lori and talk all about all the other things we want to talk about. But I am so grateful that we've had this conversation. It's such, it's such powerful work that you're doing. And it's, I just know for me personally, just our conversations have had such an impact on my life and how I look at story and how I parent and how I work with all of this. And so thank you. I'm so grateful for the beautiful golden nuggets of wisdom that you've always shared with me. Thank you, Melissa. And ditto, ditto. Like, I have so many memories and goodness of what you've shared with me and how you've shifted my perceptions and my thinking um, and opened up new spaces for me. And I just adore you. Well, I always love to end on these fun questions. So are you ready? I'm ready. All right. What is your favorite place and why? Oh, definitely the mountains. Um, any mountains. And just, I don't know, my heart comes alive in the mountains. I don't know why, though. It just does. It speaks to you. Yeah, it speaks to me. Are you a cat person, a dog person, or some other animal? Um, I'm an animal person, period. (laughs) (laughs) Right now I have a dog. Um, I've had her for 11 years. Prior to that, we had a cat for 16. So I am both and all. Animals are are very healing if you let them be. Absolutely. What's your favorite word? My favorite word lately is no. Mm. No, I can't do that. No, I would love to, but I don't have capacity. No, not right now, but maybe later. Yeah. No's been no's been my favorite word lately. That's so great. Oh. 
<laughs> what are you reading? Ooh, okay. So I'm rereading right now. I'm reading um, My Grandmother's Hands. Have you read that one, Melissa? I haven't. Oh, so I read it about a year ago, right when COVID hit. And it was so deeply impactful. I'm reading it again. It's by Resma Menachem is his last name. And it's really, it's about uh, racialized trauma and the pathways to mending our hearts and body. It is a game changer. So I'm rereading it again really slowly. It's got a lot of practices in there, but it's really about white bodies, black and brown bodies, and police bodies. And this man that wrote this book, I think has profound answers for all of us in something that we're all grappling with right now. So that's the book I'm reading lately. It's heavy, but it's a good one. Yeah. I'll put that yeah. on my Amazon list. Um, if you had a theme song, what would it be? Okay. So I, there's this song. I don't, I don't know what my theme song would be. I think it would just be love. Uh, love heals the world. But do you, do you, um, did you hear the song by the Bengstons this summer called the, the keep going on song? I don't think I did. Or if I did, I don't know the name. I don't know it by name. I don't know who had sent it to me, but that's my theme song. It's, it is the most beautiful song. It's like a story, mm -hmm. but it's a song. And they wrote it from the you know, their house. And, and it's just like a, I felt like I was being mindfully, attentively seen and known and prayed over by this song. And when I was listening to it, I just like, I literally felt like my heart was expanding, you know, like the Grinch, wow. like my heart was growing. It was the most gorgeous song. So it's, um, it's called the keep going on song and I play it all the time. So that would be my theme song. We'll put a link to that on the show notes page. Um, yeah. if you were a super superhero, what would your name be and what powers would you have? I missed, I didn't see that question, Melissa. I have no idea. I'm like, oh, I didn't read the questions clear enough. Um, I think I would, my, I don't know what my name would be, but my superpower would be to instantly turn people's fear into love. I don't know what my name would be, but I'd have a badass cape, that's for sure. <laughs> yes, you would. <laughs> All right. And then what is your intention for our world right now? Hmm. Oh my gosh, my intention for our world is to uh, is to have compassion for one another again. Mm. We have gotten so far away from compassion for one another and for ourselves. So that would be my intention that we could rise into love and compassion mm. and to heal our planet. Yeah. Yes. Uh uh, I am so grateful for you. So if people want to find you on uh, the web or on social media, how can they do that? Yeah, it would be um, so that.com, www.sothat.com. And you can uh, fill out a link. You could sign up for our newsletter or news email, actually, or um, you could do, you can reach out. We have uh a contact thing on there that you can just send us a note, let us know what you're thinking. We're going to have some really cool workshops and offerings this summer. So you'll, you'll be informed of those if you sign up for the, the newsletter. Great. And then on social media, I don't actually know our handles. I'm so bad at that stuff, <laughs> Melissa, but we're, we're on I'll Instagram. Facebook. Yeah. yeah. We'll have, we'll, <laughs> we we'll have the links to it on the show notes page. I'll look it up and make sure it's there. So if you want to connect with Lori, uh, and learn more about working with her or just connect to her because she's just a lovely human being. 
beautiful spirit. And um, I'm so grateful to have had this conversation and I look forward to continuing it on future episodes because I think we could go on and on for, we've been on for about an hour now. I think we could keep going, but uh, we'll, we'll save that for another day. Thank you. Thank you, Melissa. It was such a joy to be with you. I hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Be on the lookout for future podcasts with Lori Proctor. To learn more about what she's up to, please visit showthat.com and check out our show notes page at todayichoose.me backslash podcast for all of her social media links and other information. To learn more about what I'm up to these days, our weekly live meditations, energy clearing work, and all things intention, please visit todayichoose.me and may your week be filled with intention. Today I Choose is brought to you by 3B Productions and Nevertheless Media. Our producer and audio engineer is Sam Booty. Our graphic designer is Marsha Craig. Our research assistant is Molly Bingham. To find us on Instagram, look for Today I Choose with Melissa. And find our Facebook group, Everyday Living with Intention. And on the web, todayichoose.me.